So today, um, it is November the 12th, and we were supposed to kick off our series called Legacy, which I'll tell you more about Legacy in the series and our Legacy offering in December at, at a later time. But a couple weeks ago, in our executive leadership team meeting, we call that our ELT, we were talking about the current events around the world and perhaps the need just to have a discussion internally with with our staff, uh, we're very mindful and aware that even for some of our team, there's been uh, increased anxiety and some fear and some questions. And if you turn on the news or if you are on social media, that only adds to those emotions of, of, of whatever it is that many people are feeling. And so, you know, I acknowledged absolutely it, it's something that we do need to teach to our team. And then if you're a part of Go Church, you know a couple weeks ago, I went to the Philippines on a missions trip with our outreach uh, director, uh, Pastor Chad. And so that 26 hour flight uh, to the Philippines, uh, the Lord was just working on my heart. And on that airplane, I just heard the Lord say, it's not just a message for your team, it's a message for the church. And so uh, today I'm gonna start a conversation on this topic, Israel and the end times. Now, most of you, because the majority of you, you've been to Go Church before, you typically know, I usually don't use a pulpit or notes. That's not because I'm trying to pretend to be somebody that I'm not, it's just my rhythm, it's my cadence. Uh, but because of today's content and the things that I believe that the Lord wants me to share, uh, and because we live in such a soundbite society that is looking for every moment to twist and manipulate words of those that are trying to lead, I'm gonna be a little bit more mindful of sharing with you some some thoughts, and most importantly, some scripture to make sure that my thoughts stay aligned and that I never ever uh, wanna leverage this platform for my own promotion or personal gain. Uh, it's my daily prayer that the cross of Jesus Christ go before me. And so uh, I ask you for your grace today as we talk about this particular topic. And I'm also gonna ask you to do a couple of things, three things with me. I want you to have and this is for everybody, Pastor JC included. I want you to have an open mind, right? I want you to have an open heart, and I want you to have an open Bible. Okay, that's important. Open mind, open heart, open Bible. No matter where you are in life, no matter what your you know, uh, faith background or journey is, no matter how mature you are in Christ or how new you are to Christ, or even if you're doubting the faith, no matter where you are on the socioeconomic scale, no matter where you are politically, at the end of the day, we will never stop growing and learning if we're willing to open our hearts and minds. So that's for me too. So I think for all of us, uh, there's something that the Lord wants to teach us today. Secondly, or whatever number it is in my introduction, I wanna preface this with uh, very few of what I'll share with you today is divine revelation from God. Some of it is. There are some things that I believe the Lord put on my heart the vast majority of this content, and I'll, I'll talk about this with a more specific meaning in a moment, but just comes from a lot of hours of preparation and study this week. Okay, so I don't ever wanna pretend up here or stand up here and pretend like I've got some revelation from God. I think it's important that you sit under a, a, a teacher, a spiritual leader, a pastor that is willing to read and study and listen and learn from others and then give credit and honor where honor is due and so, uh, but I do want you to take notes today. There's a lot that we'll talk through. 
As a matter of fact, you don't have enough paper to take all the notes today because we're about to go to school. Come on, somebody. But it's going to be a great day. So before we get into this word, I want you to take 10 seconds, and I simply want you to pray those three things. Lord, give me an open mind, give me an open heart, and let me open the Bible. All right? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Take 10 seconds, and then I'll pray for us today. Thank you, Jesus. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Lord, no matter the topic of discussion, here at Go Church, it is always my heart's desire to point people to you, Jesus. You are the only way. You are the only truth. And so, Lord, even in this message, I want to make sure that we point people towards the cross and towards your grace and towards your mercy. Lord, the beauty of Go Church is her diversity, and that is in so many ways. But I pray for every person, and again, let me lead by example, that we would be willing, no matter where we come from, or our thoughts, or even our convictions, that we would posture ourselves to hear from you and to learn from your word today. I need to do that. I've learned a lot this week, and in the last couple of weeks, in preparing for this conversation. So my prayer is, for anybody maybe, just for a second, that might have this thought of creating a distraction or interruption. Lord, I pray that they would just be willing to to listen and to learn. There can come uh, opportunity for greater dialogue in a moment, but today is more of like a monologue. I'm just gonna share some of my heart to create questions. And I pray, Lord, that everybody would just understand that I believe that God wants us to have a spirit of peace and unity. All right. We honor you. We give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, one more time. Let's bless the Lord together. Come on. I want to make a a statement right here at the the beginning of this message. And the statement that I want to make is from two perspectives. The first perspective is a personal perspective. It's my conviction as a Christ follower also as husband to Kimberly and dad to Lakeland and London. And then the second perspective of this particular statement is as the pastor of Go Church, the spiritual leader of of Go Church, under the submission and the anointing of Christ Jesus, who is the lordship of his church. So the statement that I wanna make is, is that we unequivocally and unapologetically stand with Israel. It's important that you know that right up front that this, this is my heart right here, that we, we will continue to stand with the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. Now, additionally, I want to say two things, and I think that this will address uh, the majority of all of us in this room, those that understand and share this sentiment and those that have questions. So the first thing that I want to say, in addition to this statement of a fact for my life personally and pastorally is... I am today in no way, shape, or form defending every single military decision or governmental decision of the nation of Israel. Secondly, I'm not saying that I agree with every decision of Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. However, as Christians, when I read the scripture, I am taught and reminded repeatedly 
that we must stand with the people of Israel because God himself stands with the people and the nation of Israel. So it's much like my wife, Kimberly. Now, what I'm about to tell you will surprise almost everybody, but Kimberly, there are times that she disagrees with me. And uh, I know, I know, it's hard, it's hard to believe. Uh, when it happens, I don't believe it either. Uh, she doesn't agree with everything that I do, and there are times that she shakes my head at my responses or my decisions, but she stands with her husband. She stands by me, and she stands for me. Why? Because Kimberly and I, we are in covenant with one another, and we are also in covenant with Israel, even when their government, who really any government is going to make mistakes and decisions because they are led by man. But even with that, we are in covenant with Israel because God requires us to be so. Additionally, just like in the 1930s and the 1940s, then there were sensible and innocent Germans who opposed Hitler's Nazi regime. There are also today sensible and innocent Palestinians who oppose the terrorist organization known as Hamas. And all of us should also stand with the innocent Palestinian people as they fight against the evil of terrorism. Can I get an amen right there? I think it's appropriate, by the way, if you wanna clap. Let me start off with this. Why, why is it so imperative, though, that we keep our eye on Israel? First and foremost, uh, Israel is the central story of, of the Bible. The Bible was written to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel. And when you read scripture, you'll learn that scripture talks about Israel's past, so it's historical, but it also talks about Israel's future, which is prophecy. So scripture talks about past Israel historically and future Israel prophetically. God gave the world his only begotten son, Jesus. God knew that the people would need a savior, that we could not save ourselves, so God sent us Jesus. And the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Jews, his name is Yeshua. And in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, we learn that Yeshua came to save the people from their sins. It's why Jesus came. So an imperative reason to keep our eye on Israel is because of Yeshua, because of Jesus. Jesus was born in Israel. Yeshua died in Israel. He was resurrected in Israel. He ascended to heaven in Israel. And when Yeshua returns, he's not coming to Noonan, y'all. All right, he's coming to Israel. Can I get an amen? This is one of the reasons that it's important or imperative to keep our eye on Israel. Unless you've been living under a rock or you've completely isolated yourself from any type of communication, all of us are familiar with October the 7th, 2023. 36 days ago to date, thousands of Hamas terrorists broke through the security fence which separates Israel from Gaza. Hamas came in on motorcycles and jeeps and boats and paragliders. And while they were attacking from land and sea and air, they simultaneously launched thousands of missiles at Israel from the Gaza Strip. Hamas murdered right at 12 
hundred innocent Israeli citizens who were attending a music festival on October the 7th. And the purpose of the music festival, the theme of the music festival was that of unity and love. And right now, as, as far as I can research, Hamas is still holding approximately 240 individuals hostage. And so for the first time in 50 years, Israel has declared war in response to Hamas's terrorism. Many people are calling what happened on October the 7th, 2023, Israel's 9-11. And you've probably heard that statement. But what's important for you to know is that proportionately, when you look at this terrorist attack in terms of population and casualties, the loss of life on October 7, 2023 is actually 30 times worse than what the United States experienced on September 11, 2001. So this date, October 7, was the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. And 32 of the 1,200 people murdered on that day were Americans. Here's the five questions that I'm gonna try to answer today. Um, first question, and we'll just unpack these, one, two, three, four, five. The first question is, who and what is Hamas? Secondly, why are they so intent on destroying Israel and the Jewish people? Thirdly is, what is the history of the land of Israel and that of the Palestinians? Fourthly, why are so many Americans, especially our youth and young adults, supporting this Palestinian cause? And then fifthly, does any of what we're seeing, like what's unfolding right in front of our very eyes, does any of that you know, point to biblical prophecy about the end times? So let's jump right in. Let's start with the first one. Who and what is Hamas? Hamas is a terrorist organization that's compromised or comprised of rather Sunni Muslims. The word Hamas is actually an acronym, and there's duality to the, the name Hamas, but Hamas, the acronym in English, literally means the Islamic Resistance Movement. In Arabic, the word Hamas is translated as strength or zeal, but in Hebrew, the word Hamas, which in Hebrew is spelled C-H-A-M-A-S, Hamas, is known as violence. I want you to know this right here, that, and this is important, Hamas does not care about anyone or anything except their one primary objective, which is focused on destroying the nation of Israel and wiping them off of the map. Now, what I just said to you, because that will feel different um, in, in your mind and heart and emotions than maybe somebody near you, so it's important that this statement, that you understand that Hamas's focus Number one and solely is on destroying the nation of Israel and wiping them off their map, off the map. It's not a conspiracy theory. That, that's not a politically motivated statement. I, listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't lean left and I don't lean right. I stand. Come on, somebody. Like I'm standing firm on the word of God. It's not a politically motivated statement. Um, it's not false information. Um, in preparation of today, and this is because I want you to know this, in preparation of today, like I have researched and studied, I have prayed, I have cried for hours and hours and hours. I've read more articles in the past couple of weeks and more books and excerpts and, and listened to sermons and watched sermons. 
I've watched videos and, and been on YouTube. I've, I've even turned on the news, which we stopped watching the news altogether a few years ago, and I've watched various news outlets. So again, I'm not saying any of that to boast, but I think it's important that you know, like every Sunday, I am prepared. I'm prepared for this conversation, and I'm not speaking haphazardly or out of emotion. I'm speaking factually, and more importantly, I'm speaking scripturally. So in the research that I've done, one of the documents that I found actually came from the school library at Yale Law. Now, there are multiple places that you could find what is called the Hamas Covenant, which was established in 1988. However, when I read the Hamas Covenant, it was through uh, Yale's library uh, via online. This is their original charter documentation, all right? So, so this, is, this is their covenant. This is why they are established, how they were established, and what they are focused on. Within the covenant, there are at least, if memory serves me correctly, 36 what they would call articles of definition within the covenant. I'll only show you two. I'll, I'll actually only show you one article, but I'll show you the opening paragraph, and then I'll show you article seven, because it's important that you don't just hear my words about who Hamas is, you hear their words. This is who they say that they are. So the opening paragraph of the Hamas covenant is this. Israel will exist and will continue to exist only until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Opening paragraph, the Hamas covenant, 1988. Article seven within this covenant. The day of judgment will not come until the Muslims fight and kill the Jews. Their words, not mine, not a politician's, not the news, terrorists. They don't care about anybody, including the innocent Palestinians that many of us are grieving for. They don't, they don't care about them. They, they don't care about you. They don't care about the Jews. They, they will fight and they will destroy and they will kill anyone that gets in their way, Jewish or American. They don't, they don't care. Hamas is an evil, demonic ideology. Let's call them for who they are. Now, briefly, and you'll want to take a picture of this, and again, this is just hours of study and preparation, but I'll show you a brief timeline of, of Hamas from their origin all the way until October the 7th, 2023. So in 1987, they were founded in Gaza by Shaikh Ahmad Yassin, a Palestinian cleric as an offshoot of the Egyptian-based Muslim Brotherhood. In 88, they established their covenant or their charter, which we talked about a moment ago, um, calling for the destruction of Israel. In 91, their military wing, the Eisendine Al-Qassam Brigades, was established. When you get to the, the, the early 90s, and many of you are familiar with this in, in, in your world and in world's history, but they began their suicide bombings in Israel just prior to the Oslo Accords, which by the way, the purpose of the Oslo Accords was to bring unity and peace. And Hamas, and you'll see this in their track record, they always break the unity of peace. 1997, Hamas was designated as a terrorist organization, not only by the United States of America, but by dozens of other countries around the globe in response to the groups uh, Iran supported use of explosives and rockets along with the suicide bombings and kidnappings that were used specifically to target Israel. 
Then you get into the 2000s. You see in 2000, the deadly intifada, which simply means the uprising of Palestinians against uh, the Israelis. 05, Israel evacuated all of their troops and their settlers from Gaza. They built a security fence around Gaza for their national security. In 06, Hamas won a surprise victory in Palestinian parla par parliamentary, excuse me, elections and then seized full control of Gaza. They overthrew the forces loyal to the Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. As a result, much of the international community cut off aid to Gaza because they didn't want to finance a terrorist group. Duh. Uh, duh wasn't in my notes. I'm so sorry. That's why I stay in the notes. And then you get to October 7, 2023. Hamas terrorists penetrate the security fence around Gaza and over 1,500 Hamas terrorists enter Israel. They attack, slaughter, and abduct Jews in the worst mass murdering of Jews since the Holocaust. When I think about the innocent Palestinian people, those that are sensible and they recognize, you know, the evilness of Hamas. And then when I also recognize the hundreds of thousands of protesters around the globe holding up their signs, free Palestine. Listen to me, I agree. I agree that Palestine should be free, but not free from Israel, free from Hamas. Hamas is the enemy, Hamas is the bully. And so if we're going to protest, let's protest accurately and realize that it is Hamas who cares nothing about anything except their primary objective of killing the Jewish people and destroying Israel. But why? What, why? Why are there these evil groups out there that are looking to destroy Israel and the Jewish people? Now, there are three, specifically three answers. There are the ideological answers there are the political answers. How many of you know so much of what happens is politically motivated? Okay, but I wanna give you the, the best answer, which is the biblical answer. So we won't talk only about ideology or politics. Let's talk about scripture, the Bible. It's, it's who we are as a church. It's who we are as Christians. Everything that we believe is founded on the word of God. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Just because you don't agree with God's word doesn't mean you get to change God's word. Can I get 50 people to at least say amen right there? So what's the biblical answer? Like why is Hamas so intent on destroying Israel and the Jewish people? Well, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you'll see where God made Abraham a covenant. I want you to write that word down because I've talked about covenant now at least twice and we'll revisit it again. God made Abraham a covenant. Look at the covenant promise that God makes to Abraham, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. We'll come back to verse three here in just a moment, but look at verse three. Talking about the covenant with Abraham through the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes Abraham and his wife, Sarah, a promise. He says that I will give you a son. And how many of you know that whenever God says something, he is always faithful to his word. All of God's promises are what? Yes and amen. God is not a man that he should lie. He made Abraham and Sarah a promise that he would give them 
a son and that they were to name the son Isaac. And Isaac would be known as the son of the covenant. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And watch verse three. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. God gave him a promise. They would have a son, name him Isaac, and God kept his word. But 13 years before Isaac is born, Abraham becomes impatient. Abraham decides to take matters into his own hands. And so he goes off and he sleeps with Hagar. Hagar was a slave woman from Egypt. And by the way, Abraham's decision to be intimate with Hagar was not God's plan. And this is really important that you hear this. Anytime that you decide to go against the plan of God for your life, you too will be at war with something or with someone. The only way you can find true peace, peace in the world or peace in your world, is to be in God's perfect divine plan and will. Does Does that make sense? So 13 years before Isaac comes though, Abraham just can't keep it together. He goes and he sleeps with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham said, look, she's yours. She's in your hands. You do with her whatever you think is best. So Sarah mistreated Hagar and she ran from her. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Let me just say this to you as well, a lot of stuff to cover, but even if you're running from God, God can find you right where you are. God sees you. It is the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Verse nine, then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said, you are now pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Now watch how God, through his angel, defines who Ishmael will be. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility towards his brothers. Now watch this, because I'll break down what we just read. You have the descendants now of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. The descendants of Ishmael are the Arab people. The descendants of Isaac are the Jewish people. So that means this, biblically, there has been fighting and division, and hatred, and hostility, and war between the children of Ishmael and the children of Isaac since the book of Genesis. And what are they fighting over? Why is there hatred? Why is there hostility? Why is there war? It's because these brothers are fighting over the jealousy of the promise. They're fighting over, here's that word again, they're fighting over the covenant. So even more vividly, even more specifically, what we are watching happen in Israel right now is a spiritual war more than anything else. 
and I'm not trying to turn a blind eye to the physical war that's happening. Obviously, there's physical battles that they are fighting, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Hamas wants the Jewish people destroyed because Satan wants the Jewish people destroyed. Write this down. Anti-Semitism is Satanism. The hatred towards God's chosen people, they are the Jewish people. The hatred towards them is something that comes from Satan himself. It is Satan who raises up individuals. It is Satan who raises up groups, all kinds of terrorist groups. It is Satan who raises up nations and, and political leaders to fight against Israel. So at the end of the day, the war that we're watching is not really between man as much as it is an, an enemy, Satan. Anti-Semitism is Satanism. Pastor JC, can you prove that scripturally? I believe so. In the book of Revelation, which by the way, this is just a fun fact, it's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. There's only one Revelation, all right? So just helping y'all that put an S on the end of everything. The Walmarts, the YouTubes, the Revelation, one Revelation, all right? So in Revelation chapter four, watch this. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that the dragon might devour her child the moment that he was born. Now in the, in the book of Revelation, the dragon is a picture of Satan. The woman is a picture of Israel. The child is a picture of Jesus. So the dragon, Satan, is after the woman, Israel, to devour her child, Yeshua. Satan the dragon has always stood opposed to God's redemptive plan for humanity. Humanity, that's me and you. In our sinful nature, we could not save ourselves. We needed a rescuer. We needed the, the, the blood of an innocent lamb to be sacrificed because the blood of a normal lamb could only cover the stain of sin but, sin, but the blood of Yeshua, the innocent, spotless lamb, his blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary doesn't just cover the stain of sin, it removes the stain of sin altogether. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. He gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Satan knows that plan and he hates that plan of salvation because the enemy wants you to spend eternity separated from God. But God looked down from heaven and he realized my people need a savior so I will send them Yeshua. I will send them Jesus. And God chose, listen to me, God chose the people of Israel God chose the Jewish people as a means to bring the world Yeshua. And watch this. And this Jesus is not just a savior to the Jew. He's a savior to you. Well, come on, if you're gonna say amen, that's a good place. And Satan knows this. Satan knows the redemptive plan of God and the ministry of reconciliation. So the enemy will do everything he can 
to wage war against the people of Israel and the nation of Israel so that all of us could be in disunity and run from God instead of running to God. I mean, the enemy knows, if you and I know this, the enemy knows that because Yeshua was born in Israel, died in Israel, rose again in Israel, ascended to heaven from Israel, and will return to Israel, he'll do everything he can to destroy Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why terrorist organizations like Hamas are so intent on destroying the Jewish people. Have you thought about why is there so much fuss over a tiny nation that you could fit into the state of Texas 32 times? Why is there so much fuss about a nation that is almost the same size as the state of New Jersey? Have you ever thought about it? There are 22 Arab nations and more than 50 Islamic nations, but there is only one Jewish nation. But the Jewish people are the bullies. Genesis 12, three, this is the decision that you and I have to make even when we grieve for the loss of the lives of people, of people, but especially these sensible, innocent Palestinian people we still must stand with the nation of Israel. We are in covenant with them. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, Pastor David mentioned in the ministry moment at this campus earlier that the last couple weeks we've been going to the gym. And uh, you can't tell yet, uh, but, and, and neither can I, other than every part of my body, it hurts. And I told Pastor David, I said, I feel like you're taking out work frustration on me in the gym. And uh, he said, I plead the fifth. So, but in the gym, we've had a lot of conversations uh, about world events and what's going on. And, and one thing that we talked about was is that everything that I just taught you on the biblical answer is not what the world will tell you. And that certainly isn't the narrative. That's not the populist populist narrative. I, I don't want to give Hamas any credit at all, and I really try not to be funny today at all, because today's not funny. But if I were to give Hamas any credit, it would be that their PR, their public relations is amazing. They've been able to flip the script on their evil, demonic hatred to now become the victims. So, y'all, if I ever get in a mess, like, I got to find out who's representing them because they figured out a way to confuse people to make them think that they are the victims and the Jewish people are the bullies. So here's what, here's what Hamas would say, and, and here's why we see signs like Free Palestine, because they're saying that Israel and the Jews are occupying land that belongs to the Palestinians. So people are pro-Palestinian because they think and they have heard, and you've literally seen signs with this, Israel are the occupiers. You've seen that, right? Israel are the occupiers. So they believe, here's what pro-Palestinians believe, what Hamas has taught, is that they're fighting this war because Israel is trespassing and Hamas is just trying to take back their property. Which, okay, if that were the case, that makes sense. But that's not the case. That leads us to the third question. What, what is the history of the land of Israel and the Palestinians? So, I'll, I'll preface unpacking all of this with content with this factual statement. The Jewish people are not the occupiers of the land. 
You have to know your history. The Jews are the indigenous people of the land. They are the native people of the land. They are the original people. I can prove this historically, archaeologically, and biblically. The Jews lived in that land 2,100 years before the terms Palestine or Palestinian ever even existed. The Jews lived in that land 2,600 years before the religion of Islam ever even existed. And then for those of you that view the Bible as historical evidence, which all Christians should, in Genesis 15, 18, we see that God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the world, gave the title deed of Israel to the Jewish people. Look right here, Genesis 15, 18. So the Lord made a covenant. There it is again. He made the covenant with Abraham. And he said, I have given this land to you and your descendants. Now, for those of you that refuse to accept historical, biblical evidence, would you at least consider archaeological evidence? Would you at least consider what, what they have found to prove that this nation originally belonged to the Jewish people? There are at least, at least two that I can talk about today for time's sake, archaeological findings that back up that uh, the Jews are not the occupiers of Israel. They are the rightful owners. It's their land. The first one here on the right is a 13th century B.C. Egyptian stele. Now, a stele is just a stone slab that was used in ancient times to record historical information and documentation. So this 13th century B.C. stele mentions the people of Israel living in, in that land. There's also on the right a 9th century B.C. Canaanite stele that mentions King David as the king of the land of the nation of Israel. What does this prove? Simply put, it proves that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, it has been well documented that the Jews lived in this land that God himself had given to them. It was their land. So, how can there be any confusion then? There's no confusion about what land I own. There's no confusion. There's no confusion about whose house it is. And if you think my house is your house, could you pay the mortgage? It's due on the first. Come on, somebody. So, so how is there confusion about whose land it is? That's such a great question. Let Everybody good? If you're good, sound good. Okay. From, let's do a little bit more history. From 586 B.C. before Christ... When the Babylonians came and they conquered and defeated Israel, so from, from 586 B.C. before Christ all the way until 1948 A.D. when Israel reclaimed their land, for that roughly 2,500-year time period, the Jews were displaced, the Jews were oppressed, the Jews were killed for 2,500 years. And during those 2,500 years, there were world empires that took over the land. Okay, does that make sense? So, so watch. The first ones to conquer them were the Babylonians. Then came the Persians. Then came the Greeks. Then came the Romans. Then came the, the Byzantines. Then came the Arab Islamic Empire. Then came the Catholic Crusaders. Then came the, the Mamelukes. Then came the Ottomans. Then came the British Empire. 
So for 2,500 years, empire after empire after empire after empire after empire said, no, this is my land. No, this is my land. No, this is my land. So, so you've got to look back at history to the original deed of the land to see that the Jewish people were there first. First. So then, where did the Palestinian people come from? Where is that word Palestine even derived from? In AD 135, the Roman emperor, Hadrian, overcame a Jewish revolt and he renamed Israel Palestina. Palestina is the Latin phrase for the Philistines. Who are the Philistines? The Philistines were the biblical enemy of the Jewish people. So Hadrian, overcoming a Jewish revolt, renamed the land Palestina as a nod to the Philistines and as an embarrassment to the Jews. So then in 1948, and some of you, this is a part of your lifetime. You can go back to 1948 when the Jews took back what was rightfully theirs. They gave it its proper name. And I don't know if I've said this, uh, but the Jewish people have never fully owned all of the land that God gave them only partial, not even close. But this is where the dispute between uh, the land comes from and where Palestine or the Palestinians derive. Now, fourth question. So why then are so many Americans, especially our, our young people, supporting this Palestinian cause? Okay, so I, I prayed a lot about today. I, I've probably prayed as much as I've planned and prepared. And in my prayer time, I wondered if at this point in the message, if many people would still be here or if people would just walk out or, or whatever. So, so you're here. Come on, that's a big deal. And uh, now I can't see Westside and Moco. Maybe they walked out. I don't know. But you're here. Um, and since you're here, I really want you to lean in for the next few minutes. Especially, let me look around the room, our teenagers and young adults. Okay, I really want you to lean in right here. And I want to do two things. The first thing that I want to do is I want to commend you. And then the second thing I want to do is challenge you. Or let me say it like this. The first thing I want to do is celebrate you, and then I want to spank you. <laughs> Come on, parents and grandparents. How many of you know, all right? But, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not devaluing my commendation here, because this is wholehearted, and I mean this genuinely. I commend you because of your heart of compassion for people. The way that you care about individuals that you feel like are disadvantaged, they're the underdogs, or they don't have a voice, you stand firm for those people. It's why you are so loud about certain causes and various humanitarian efforts like world hunger or sex trafficking. It's why you care so much about the environment or you will fight against the sin of racial injustice. So hear me out, young people, don't you ever stop caring for people. Don't ever stop caring for those that are disadvantaged. And I genuinely applaud you for that. That is a beautiful piece of who you are. You keep being the voice for those that have no voice. But now the spanking. The why is greater than the what. Don't just be a part of something, but know why you are a part of something. Get your facts together first. 
Sometimes you are so quick to jump on the bandwagon of the latest cause and the latest humanitarian effort that you don't do your homework. And so you don't even know what you're a part of. So you're speaking out about a topic that you can't intellectually defend. And it's easy when we have those conversations that the only knowledge you have is based off the social media story that somebody sent you. Do your due diligence. Because if you don't do your homework, you will end up looking foolish. Young people, you jump on these certain causes because you have a guilty conscience. You have a guilty conscience and you want to feel good. So the way that you think you can feel good is to be the voice for those that you believe are voiceless. Dr. Christian Smith, who was a professor at Harvard but now is a professor at, at, at Notre Dame, coined this term, moralistic therapeutic deism. And he says that so many of our current young people are caught up in moralistic therapeutic deism. What does this mean? I'll, I'll give you a working definition and then break down these three words. So moralistic therapeutic deism means you are making a God out of your humanitarian causes. So moralistic, well, I, I wanna do good. Therapeutic, because I really wanna feel good. Deism, so that I can be good. And their danger in this particular approach is that the only way that you can ever even come close to being good is through the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Are you hearing me? You don't need moralistic, therapeutic deism. You need a personal and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from somebody? Come on. But instead, instead of doing your homework and doing your due diligence, and being able to carry on intellectual conversations, we've got immature people. We've got high schoolers at Clarksburg High School, which is but a few miles from our Montgomery County campus, that they are actively involved in anti-Israel protest, and this past week, they marched out of school. Listen to me. Baby, you don't need to march out of school. You need to march your rear end into school. You need to learn some things. We have hundreds of thousands of young people that are shouting, the Jews are the occupiers. The Jews are the bullies. No, sir. No, ma'am. Know your history. Know your facts. And when you learn those things, you can fight for the right cause and the right reason. I'm not done. I don't get to preach like this enough. Y'all hang in there with me. But innocent people are dying. Yes. And it should grieve your heart. I can't help but weep when I see innocent people bloodied and homes leveled and separated from their family. Of course that hurts. And of course it is wrong. But that is not the problem of the Jewish people, that is Hamas, and that is the enemy. And here's how I know it, listen to me, because some of you don't know this, but the Palestinians, uh, or, the, or Hamas rather, they use the Palestinian civilians as their shield. Their shield. They're hiding their weapons in factories. Their, their, their headquarters are inside of schools and mosques and hospitals. This is factual. 
They're firing their rockets from the homes of innocent Palestinian civilians. And Hamas has built over 500 kilometers of tunnels, 310 miles of tunnels. But not one inch is for the safety of the Palestinian people. Not one inch. Nobody's allowed in but Hamas. They didn't build bomb shelters. They built tunnels so they could fight. October the 19th, 2023, an Arabian news channel interviewed the head of Hamas's political bureau abroad, Khalid Mashal. They asked him the very question that many of our youth and young Americans are protesting. What about the innocent people that are dying because of the bullies, the Jews? Here was his response. I, I, put, I put the site here so that you can, you, know, you, can, you can fact check me into the work. He said, no nation is liberated without sacrifices. Doesn't sound like much of an expression of regret, does it? And they surely haven't released the 240 hostages, at least as of midnight last night when I did some final research. Additionally, did, did you know that 24 hours before Israel's ground invasion, they dropped thousands of leaflets into Gaza urging residents to flee south for safety. What kind of bully would warn you of a fight? So for anybody that's calling for a ceasefire, which I'm not advocating for war, but I'm telling you, biblical justice is messy and innocent people die because if you are, if you, this is for every one of us, if you are not at peace with God, you are at war with God. Do you hear that? So watch. So those that are calling for a ceasefire, listen to me, there was there was a ceasefire, and Hamas broke the ceasefire on October the 7th, 2023. Secondly, all you have to do, and listen, you don't even have to be highly educated to do your research. There is a great tool called Google. Now, you've got to be careful with a lot of the information, but you can find the facts that Hamas's track record with ceasefires speaks for itself. Hamas is openly admitting to the world they will never abide by a ceasefire. Look at this. Uh, LBC Live on 10-24-23, Ghazi Hamad, Hamas's political bureau, said this. Watch. We must teach Israel a lesson. We'll teach them a lesson. And we'll do this again and again and again. The Al-Aqsa flood, that's what they reference October the 7th. The Al-Aqsa flood is just the first time. There'll be a second. There'll be a third. There'll be a fourth. Because we have the determination to fight. So, again, I, I want you to know this. I'm not promoting war, and I'm not agreeing with everything that Israel's government and military are doing. Um, we must absolutely, without question, have compassion on the innocent Palestinian people. Yes and amen. But for those of you that are asking Israel to create a ceasefire, you are asking them to sign their own death certificate. Because if Israel stops now, Hamas will Destroy them. Now, oh, I can hear it. Oh, Pastor JC, you're just a, a conservative. All you do is watch Fox News. You, 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 you don't, you don't, you really, if you think that of me, you don't even know who I am. Let me give you a quote. People who are calling for a ceasefire now, you do not understand Hamas. That is not possible. 
It would be such a gift to Hamas because they would spend whatever time there was a ceasefire in effect rebuilding their armaments, creating stronger positions to be able to fend off an eventual assault by the Israelis. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Isn't it amazing? And we gotta give credit where credit is due. I've actually been pleasantly encouraged and surprised by President Biden's support of Israel. We got, we got Republicans and Democrats who can't seem to agree on anything, but we seem pretty unified on standing for Israel. Wow, that's amazing to me. Now, all right, number five, does any of this fit into any particular Bible prophecy about the end times? Well, you gotta come back next week because time's up. So I won't get to that today. I'll leave you on a little cliffhanger, but I would encourage you to be here next Sunday. Invite your family and your friends because we are going to be talking about the inevitable return of Christ Jesus. Jesus is coming soon. Morning, night, or maybe noon. People get ready. All right, I gotta hurry. Campus pastors are moving, but I wanna do two things before I walk off this stage. I'm just gonna wipe my eyes for a second. Okay. First thing I wanna pray, two prayers that I'm gonna pray really quickly. First prayer, I'm gonna pray for those that are a part of Hamas, that they repent of their sin, that they turn from Allah, and they give their heart to Yeshua, Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the light. Can I get an amen right there? And listen, as hard as this may be for some of you to comprehend, don't, don't become so legalistic and so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. When Jesus died on that cross, when he shed his blood, he shed it for the worst of the worst. And God's blood, his, through his son Jesus, can even cleanse a terrorist. He can do it. Can I get an amen? So we're gonna pray for repentance and then we're gonna pray for the peace of Israel. Nobody leave just yet. Two minutes and I'm off the stage. Head bowed, eyes closed. It's okay, head bowed, eyes closed. Lord, right now, we pray for a repentant heart of the people that are a part of this terrorist organization called Hamas. They are blinded. They are misled. And they are confused. But you're not the author of confusion. You're the author of peace. So I pray that even now, as they hide in some tunnel and they prepare to continue to kill, rape, and murder, that your Holy Spirit would grip their hearts and they would repent of their sin and accept you, Yeshua, Jesus, as Lord. And now, Father, I pray, because you command us to, to pray for the peace of Israel. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, that has been built as a city that is firmly joined together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as an ordinance for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones were set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Verse 6, Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. 
for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And let the whole church say amen and amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord together. Come on.